We just thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word and for your love. We ask you to guide and lead us as we look at the retribution that you have in store for Babylon through this prophecy. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 47. This is God's pronouncement of judgment upon Babylon. At this particular time of the judgment, Babylon is just starting to come to power and already Isaiah is prophesying their destruction. So, verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground, there is no throne. O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover your locks and make bare the leg. Uncover your thigh, the thigh. Pass over the rivers. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, your shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet you as a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, his name is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit you silent and get you into the darkness, O daughter of Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was angry and my, with my people I have polluted. I have polluted my inheritance and given them into your hand, and you did show them no mercy upon the ancient. Have you very heavily laid your yoke? You said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not lay these things to your heart, neither did you remember the latter end. So let's look at these as we start in here. Babylon's coming to power, and then, he come, then God says, Go sit down in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, or, or literally there is no more throne. You've lost your, you've lost your power, your, your authority. You've lost your position. And you shall no more be called tender and delicate. All right? In other words, he's saying you're no longer the one. You're no, you're no longer the one that everybody's seeking after. Uh, when Nebuchadnezzar raised into power in Babylon, he created quite an empire. He built the hanging gardens of Babylon for, his, for his, his wife to try to please her and give her uh, happiness in her living in the city. Uh, did great wonders. It was a very great time. And as they got further into their kingdom, as most empires do, they get caught up in luxury. The, the, the kingdom is, rises up in, in power and authority and rule and then when they get to the place, they start stand, you know, stabilizing. And then they start getting lazy. And that's happened time after time after time. And as they start getting lazy, then they start getting into how can we entertain ourselves. And the entertainment starts becoming more and more vile as time goes on. And this is the state, stage that we are in in America. We have come to power. We stabilized. And now our people are getting lazy. Don't want children because children get in the way of me being entertained. Don't, don't want anything. Just entertain me, entertain me, entertain me. And our entertainment is getting more and more vile. Our relationships with individuals are getting more and more vile. Uh, I think I heard somebody on the radio claim the other day that they have 48 different gender choices. I, you know, I don't know what more you can go from male and female, but then they have, you know, homosexual, lesbian, bisexual, you know, all kinds of, you know, uh, I, I don't know which one I am attitude, you know, this is, 
It's getting crazy out there, and yet it has happened over and over in history, and it just shows that we are at the tail end of what we can have as a nation. Nothing new. Nothing new. It is what has always happened. And the sad thing, though, is it seems to be happening all the way around the world. In the past, you always had some other nation coming up to take the place of the nation that was falling away. In our day, it seems like the entire world is falling into this whole, this whole process, which just tells us, if that is a true statement, we are at the end times. There's no nation to rise up and take our place, so the one world nation will come along and take the place, which is exciting and terrifying at the same time. Uh, for us, it's exciting because we know it's going to be true. Now that I've got grandkids, it's more terrifying to me to know that what my grandkids are going to have to go through is not, not good. But at the same token, I look at it and say, God is going to protect. God is going to honor. And here he says, you're no longer dainty and delicate. You're not, you're not, uh, you're not at ease. And they were captured and they were put into servitude which is quite a distance to go from taking your life at ease into servitude. And, uh, and this has been happening, again, historically we see this happen in every single great nation that comes along. They stop having children because they're too busy you know, just having fun. And then to entertain themselves, they get into every sexual perversion there is to entertain themselves. And our country is getting the same way. We're having less and less verse, especially of natural citizens, and more and more entertain me, and more and more sexual perversion. And so we're in the same place Babylon was at, at this curse time. And then he says, take the millstones and grind meal. <laughs> in other words, you're going to be put to labor. Hard work. Grinding, grinding meal was not easy work. All right? You had to turn that millstone around, and millstone raids usually a couple of tons, and pushing it around was not an easy, easy task. So he says, you're going to be put to work. Uncover your locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the river. So he says, uncover or lay bare your locks. And the word literally here is your veil. Take off your veil. You're not the dainty princess anymore. You're now going to be a servant. And the servant could be exposed in that, in that way in the Middle East. The servant could go around without a veil. Those who were ladies went around with a veil. Uh, those who weren't ladies <laughs> walked around exposing their face and tempting, tempting everybody <laughs> is, is the way they looked at it. Uh, and he says, lay bare, or again, strip off your leg or the skirt from your leg. Hard to work with the skirt on, so he says, oh, you know, you're taking that off. And then he says, uncover the thigh or expose the thigh and then he says, cross over the river. All right, try to get away from trying to get away at this point. But he's basically saying you're going to lose all of your luxurious clothings, the things that set you aside, and you're going to be made just like a servant. And this is what happens to us in our sin. We get exposed. God does not let sin get, get away unpunished. And here he's saying, take all these things. He says, your nakedness shall be uncovered. And he's saying, literally, they will be 
<laughs> exposed for everything. All right, you're, you will be exposed and your shame or your taunting will be, be seen. Right? So God is saying you are going to be fully exposed. Even with his children, you know, when we misbehave and do sinful things and don't confess our sins and don't repent, God eventually will say, if you're not going to repent, I'm going to expose it. David did not expose, did not repent from his sin with Bathsheba and killing Uriah until Nathan came and exposed him in the judgment hall. Okay, this, I don't, this was not just between him and David. He goes in the judgment seat. The David is sitting in the judgment seat and saying, I have a case for you to decide, David. It was not in David's private chambers. It was not in the, the kitchen and in dining hall. It was he came to him at the judgment seat. David, make judgment on this. And then as David gets angry, he says, you're the man. Everybody was, was there that was coming before the judgment seat that could have seen this. This was not a private rebuke. He had refused to repent. And God says, okay, David, we're going to shout your sin from the, from the rooftops. And Jesus said the same thing, that our sins will be shouted from the rooftop. If we don't repent, God will expose our sins eventually. He'll give us plenty of time to, you know, to repent. David was given at least a year. The baby's been born, and the baby is, is a young, it's called a young child. So somewhere between nine months to possibly two years that David has not repented. And Nathan comes to him at the judgment hall and gives him this story. All right? And God says, you will be exposed. He says, I will take vengeance and I will not meet you as a man. In other words, I'm not meeting you as an equal. I'm meeting you as God. And this is something that's important. You know, we, we see it all the time where people say, well, my boss didn't treat me the way I expected to be treated. Well, number one, it's your boss. Your boss can treat you pretty much the way they want. If you want to keep that job, you have to, you know, you're not an equal with your boss. And I used to tell people that in times. Usually I would tell people why I was doing it, but there were times when, I'm the boss, you're going to do what you're asked to do, go do it. And my favorite statement was, I would ask them nicely, would you please do this? And if they said no, i go, you didn't understand, it wasn't a request. I, it was just being nice, <laughs> go do it. All right, you know, I'm the boss, you're the employee type deal, and that's the way it goes. When I, where I'm at now, if my boss asks me to do something, I do it, all right? The other day during the break, I covered for her, and I was 15 minutes late getting back to my class. <laughs> now, and they go, well, where are you? I go, well, you guys know I'm always on time. I was covering for my boss. <laughs> now, my boss asked me to do something. I did <laughs> what I was asked. And so here he's saying, I'm not meeting you as an equal. We're not, e we're not, we're not equals. I'm God. And one of the things we need to always remember ourselves is God is God, and we're not. God can ask us to do, tell us, not even ask us, he could tell us to do whatever he wants to tell us because we are his creation. Which means he has the right to tell us to do whatever he wants us to do. He took the children of Israel because of their sin and put them into slavery with the Babylonians. Because of their disobedience, he used Babylon, which was a terrible nation, to punish them. 
And Babylon was cruel, as we're going to see in this section. That God says, you're in trouble because of your cruelty to my people. And so we see, verse 4 says, As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. So Isaiah here is putting God's name up there. Our Redeemer, our Savior, literally our kinsman Redeemer. He has the right to buy us back because he is the nearest kinsman to us. God created us. Jesus is the nearest kinsman to be able to redeem us, and he's the only one that can redeem us. So he paid the price. He says, the Lord, our Redeemer, is the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel. And I love this idea. God redeems us. He paid the price that we cannot pay because we, we just can't afford it. You know, perfection is the price of, of entry into heaven. He says, well, you guys have sinned. Sorry, you can't, you, know, you can't come in. You can't pay that price. So Jesus came and paid the price that we couldn't pay. And you know, we've got to really understand this. No, none of us deserves to go to heaven. None of us have, can pay the price to go to heaven. And it's, the unfortunate thing is sometimes people get self-righteous and say, well, look at me, I've done, I've done this, I've done that, I, I don't do this, I don't do that. And thinking somehow there's great value in it. Now, there's great reward in proper li you know, lifestyle. Don't get me wrong, there's proper reward, there's great reward because of we reap what we sow. But there's no value to get us into heaven. You know, I don't earn heaven in any way straight... Uh, uh, way or form. I don't have God under obligation to give me anything. I don't have God saying, well, I love you more because of what you're doing. God loves us completely even before we're saved. All right? Jesus died for us because he loves us so completely while we were his enemies and nothing we do good is going to make him say, oh, well, I really love you now. You know, I really love you. You've been so obedient, I'm going to really love you. That is not the way he ever looks at us. When he sits at the white throne judgment having to send people to hell, he's still going to love those people that have chosen to rebel against him and not accept him. All right? He's not going to send them into hell in anger and, and, and bitterness. I believe he'll be weeping as he sends people to hell like, because that's what they wanted. I paid your debt and you, di you, didn't, you didn't accept it. I, and just looking at them was just tears, you know, at being able, you didn't need, this, this didn't have to be your choice. This didn't have to be what happens to you. You chose it, and it'll, it will not be joyfully casting them into hell. It'll be very sad that they have rejected him. He says, sit you silent and get into the darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, and the Babylonians and Chaldeans are, and the Medo-Persians are the same, same general area. For you shall no more be called the lady of kingdoms, of the kingdoms, or the chief kingdom. All right? He says, sit silent. You're no longer the top dog. <laughs> You're no longer the greatest of all the nations. You are been cast down. And I kind of think this is an interesting, the lady of the kingdoms. <laughs> Or literally, the mistress of the kingdoms is, is really what it is. Lady is not even the right term. 
Babylon has always been a major player for the enemy. All the way going all the way back to Nimrod in the Tower of Babel. Nimrod built the first great kingdom. He brought the people together under, under one rule and then led them into darkness and worship of idols. Against him was set up uh, uh, Eber, and Eber was following God and trying to bring people to God. So there was a great battle going on back in that day, and all the roots of all the false religions go all the way back to Babylon and the Tower of Babel through Nebuchadnezzar, who was following the same religious system that, that was, had been in place since Nimrod, and we get into the revelation where it says Babylon will rise up again. Now, I personally think that it will be the literal city of Babylon that rises up again to be the center of darkness. It could be, like most people think, the uh, ungodly religious system in there. But I really think he's talking about Babylon. It started the, the great wickedness. I think it's going to end the great wickedness full circle. Nothing new under the sun. And it's been Satan's seat forever. And I believe he's going to try to put his kingdom, especially when he reveals himself for who he is in, in Israel after the three and a half year marks, and he's revealed as the Antichrist, he'll pull completely out of there, and I think he will go to Babylon. It's my personal opinion, but it started with Babylon. I think it's going to end in Babylon. That is the city that Satan has chosen to be his, his earthly city type deal. All right? God has chosen Jerusalem as his earthly city and put great benefit on it. Satan, I believe, feel has put his stamp on Babylon. And I believe in the end it's going to be Babylon against Jerusalem type deal. Two, two great cities that have been the headquarters of each side. And he says, you will no longer be called the mistress of the kingdoms, the, the, the lover of all the kingdoms, the, the chief kingdom out there. He says, I was angry with my people and I have polluted or violated my own inheritance and given them into your hand. So God says, I have done this. I gave them into your hand, Babylon. And this is something that is so interesting for us. We need to really fully understand that everything that happens, God has allowed. Now this is kind of hard for us. This is what the the unsaved world will try to say, well, if your God is all as powerful as he is, he could have stopped all this stuff from happening. And yes, he could have. We wouldn't learn the lessons we're supposed to learn. We wouldn't be receiving the discipline that we were supposed to have. Israel was disciplined because of their disobedience to God and God placed them into an evil empire's hands to do so. But God says, you did not show the, you showed them no mercy Upon the ancient, you have laid a heavy yoke. And God says, Babylon, you were too cruel to my people. I was putting them under your hand for discipline, and you are being too cruel to them. All right? You were, or were, you were too cruel, cruel to them. And he says, you didn't, even, you didn't even look at age as a problem. And, you know, this is happening over and over again. In the World War II, the... The Nazis did not treat anybody that was of Jewish descent or went to those concentration camps with any respect whatsoever. They didn't look at age. They didn't look at sex or anything. You were in, in that camp, and you were brutalized. 
And if you were old, you died very quickly because you just didn't have the strength. And if you were young, you usually died because you didn't have the strength to go for years that way. Same type of thing that Babylon was going saying. You know, hey, you're under our authority. We're going we're gonna to brutalize you. And God is saying, you did that. Now you're going to pay the price. And Germany paid the price you know, uh, during World War II for their abuse of God's people. And we see this whole process going on. He says, you did not show him any, any mercy. And verse 7 says, and you said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not lay these things to your heart, neither did you remember the latter end. You know, I am the greatest. I'm not going to go anywhere. You know, kind of sounds a little bit like the way the America, America thinks. We're so great, nothing can touch us. Nothing is going to touch us. This was Babylon went to, at the time it fell. Matter of fact, if you remember the story, Babylon fell, and the king and his princes and his generals were having a party on the night that they, were, that they fell, and they had been surrounded by the enemy, and they're having a grand old party because nobody was going to enter into Babylon. We are so secure, nobody can touch us. And all the leaders and the king are having a grand old party you know, letting their guard down, but even worse, if you recall, they took the articles of the, of the temple of God and started toasting to their, to their gods, and that's when a writing on the wall came that said, you have been weighed, you have been found wanting, and your, and your days are numbered. And Daniel comes and interprets it, says, your kingdom comes to an end. And while he was yet speaking, the city fell. The city fell because they got in, through the under under the gate at the water and came in and took the city without much of a battle because all the leaders are at a party. So so secure that they weren't going to be, you know, so sure they weren't going to be defeated. And God says, This is going to happen. You said, you said, I will always be. Well, we need to be careful. Anytime we think that we're so good that we cannot fall we are so strong that we cannot fall we better be careful because we're going to fall god is not going to let us stand in his in our pride god you know i'll just you know i will never fail in this area i will never i will never have this be a problem with me look out you're in trouble yeah never say never never say always yeah very very dangerous words Verse 8 says, Therefore hear now this, you that are given to pleasures that dwell carelessly, and say in your heart, I am and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come on you in a moment in one day, the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their perfection for the multitude of your sorceries and for the great abundance of your enchantments. For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, none see me. Your wisdom and your knowledge, it, is per, per, ha, it has perverted you. And you have said in your own heart, I am and none else besides me. Therefore shall evil come upon you. You shall not know from whence it rises. And mischief shall fall upon you. And you shall not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. So here he says, hear you that are given to pleasure. 
And this word for pleasure is the whole idea of finery, luxurious clothes, somebody who is, who is just lavish. And we think of this in, as people who are very wealthy, sitting in the lap of luxury. They have their soft couches and their fine clothes. This is what he's talking about. You guys are just so lazy, you, you would never work. You're not dressed to work. You're not, you're not, your hands are so soft, you've never worked a day in your life type idea. He says, you who are this type of person, listen. You that dwell carelessly or securely, not a care in the world. We're not worried about anything. Our city is surrounded. We're not going to fall. You know, we got plenty of water. We got plenty of food. We got a nice thick wall that nobody can get in. We, we can just party and have a good old time while we're surrounded. And those poor, those poor saps outside are, are hungry in the, in the weather. And we're in here nice and warm and, and sitting on our couches and eating our fine food. And we got plenty of food. Exactly what God said was going to happen. All of a sudden, their kingdom was taken away. Their, their mighty men were killed. They became widows. They became childless. All because of their position. And they had just said, never happened to us. It'll, it'll never happen to us. It's a dangerous place when we get to, the, to thinking something will never happen to us. This is the problem with today's Christianity in America. You know, you need to be wealthy, healthy, and, 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 and wise to be blessed by God. And if you're not those three things, you're in trouble. Now, don't know where they come up with that idea from. You know, yes, there were some wealthy people in the scriptures. Abraham was very wealthy, but he went through some very hard times. Job was extremely wealthy, but he went through some hard times. God never promises us nothing but blessing. You know, and because he will take and look at us and say, are you going to serve me? And I have actually seen wealth be a detriment to people serving God. They just get wrapped up in their wealth. Well, I, can, I don't need God anymore. I can take care of myself. Nope. <laughs> you have that attitude, you're going to lose everything. Now, there are people who are stay, that get wealthy and stay wealthy because they keep honoring God. And it's an opportunity for them to help more people because of their wealth. And that doesn't mean they can't siphon off even a large amount of the money that they get. But God is saying, are you using it only on yourself? Or are you going to help others? And this is something that's very important because when you have money, you spend more money. It just is an automatic. But the question is, are you spending all of it on you or are you turning it back to God? And that's a very important thing for us. At the very least, we've got to continue tithing. The statistics show us that the wealthy don't tithe. All right? And I kind of understand that. When you're poor and you get $200 and you're supposed to give $20 to God, it's not a big deal. What can you buy with $20? If you're wealthy and you get $100,000 and all of a sudden $10,000 is your tithe, it's still 10%. It's still not that big a deal taking it out of your income compared to the $20. But what can you buy with, with $10,000? Quite a bit. It's a little harder, you know. Okay, God, you get my twenty dollars. I couldn't. I couldn't do much with it anyway. I could have bought some groceries, but here, here's your, here's your twenty dollars, God. Ten thousand dollars. You can buy a lot of toys with ten thousand dollars. So they get to the point where, well, and it, it even goes even more insidious. Well, I don't want to be the one supporting the church. I don't want them to feel dependent upon my, 
upon my gift. You know, I can't have them think that, you know, they're surviving just because of what I give them. And that's part of what goes on in their mind. You know, the entire church's budget is only 15000 If I give 10000 they're not living by faith, and I'm the, I'm the one supporting the church. Which either goes, I don't give because I don't want it, or I'm going to give and I'm going to make them do it my way. All right? Both of bad. You just give and you say, this is it. Do with it as needs be, and I'm not going to try to influence the decision. And it happens both ways. And I've seen it happen both ways over, over my lifetime. People give and think, well, this is, you know, you've got to do things my way. I, if, I, if I take my money out or I go to a different church, you're going to fall, you're going to fall flat on your face because I'm the one giving all the money. Or I'm going to give you this money and, or I'm not going to give you the money because I don't want you to think you need me. That's a more supposed righteous attitude, uh, but it's still a very selfish attitude. You know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be the case. You just give the church, you keep it hidden, you keep it silent. You know, and, you know, I don't know who even gives in our church, and I don't want to know because I don't want to have anybody think, you know, think they have any kind of hold over it, which is why I don't touch anything to do with the offerings. It's done by other people because I don't want to know. I don't care to know who's, who's giving. And this is very important because God is saying, suddenly this happened to them. They were bragging about how nothing was going to happen to them. And God says, suddenly, all of, your will, all of this is what will happen. He says, you dwell carelessly. You that say in your heart, I am and none else beside me. I will not sit as a widow, neither will I, shall I know the loss of children. So I'm never going to lose. But the first statement was, I am and there is none beside me. Doesn't that sound like just what God said in the previous chapter? I am God, there is none beside me. They are claiming that they are God. There's nobody beside me. Which is someplace we need to be careful of because sometimes we can get to that attitude where, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm it. I'm the top dog. I'm, I'm the most important. <laughs> and we need to be careful of that attitude because God's going to say, uh-uh, I am God, there is none beside me is what God says. And when anybody tries to think that they're God, Something's going to happen. Why did Satan get cast out of heaven? He said, I will be like the most high. And he was cast out of heaven. What was his temptation to, to Eve? The day you eat of this, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You, know, you will be like God. Now, they got to know good and evil, but they didn't become like God. Then he says, these two things will happen to you in verse 9 in a moment. The loss of children and widowhood. They shall come to you in their perfection or their completeness. It was going to happen in a day. And when we look at the history of this, they were conquered in a day. They were surrounded, but they were conquered in one battle. And it wasn't even a battle. They came sneaking through underneath the, underneath the gate, conquered the city with very little, very little bloodshed during that battle and put them into subjection. Very quickly... Very completely. And he says, Upon you in their perfection for the multitude of your sorceries and the great abundance of your enchantments, of your witchcraft. He's saying, you guys are following the wrong God. And this is something that's very interesting. In our day and age, witchcraft and magic are becoming a very popular pl uh, play again. 
People are looking at it. Why? Because Satan makes it look like they have power. Their spells work because Satan and the demonic world give it impetus and power. And they do have a power because they're tapping into the demonic world and Satan is showing them power. Now the flip side is for us as Christians, we have a greater power and we don't use it. <laughs> you know, half the time we don't pray to God asking and expecting miracles. You know, we may pray for, for an answer to prayer, but we, our prayers oftentimes go, God, maybe if possibly you might think about possibly doing this for me, I'd really appreciate it, God, if you would just maybe think about giving me a little bit of blessing this week. You know, and we don't say all those words, but isn't that half the prayer we give most of the time? God, I'm really not expecting an answer to this prayer, but these are words I'm supposed to say, so bless us, or bless so-and-so. Now, the flip side of this is, with God, in the name of Jesus, we demand that you do this. Well, I don't want to do any demanding of God either. <laughs> we want to fall somewhere in the middle where we're asking God, God, if it's your will, can you, can you give us this blessing? And we expect a blessing. There are times when I pray for people, especially for healing, and I know God's going to heal them. And if they don't get healed, I wonder why. There's other times I'm praying just because they asked me to pray for their healing, and I'm not as convicted about it. It's just, okay, you asked me to pray, I'm going to pray, because if you have enough faith, maybe it's, maybe it's true, but I'm not, I'm not being impressed by this. Uh, at College Park, we prayed for a gentleman who was on the heart transplant la list. He was in the very high end of it. He was in his last days, and he came to the church asking for prayer, and we prayed for him, and I just knew he was going to be healed. I just knew it. The Spirit spoke. I was part of the group that prayed for him. The next week, he came running in the church. He didn't walk in the church. He ran. He ran up on the platform, down the steps, back around and around the whole church. He was off the die. He was off the heart transplant list. All right. He had been healed. In his case, I knew. Just the Spirit spoke to me. He's going to be healed. He's going to be the great testimony that this church needs to see about God's healing. And it was a wonderful experience. Other people I've prayed for, and they've gotten healed even though I didn't feel it. I, you know, if somebody asks me to pray, I'm going to pray for them. But certain times I just know, all right, God, this is, your, this is you. You want this to happen. One of the things is we're praying for revival. I am absolutely sure God wants to do a revival in this town as we pray for it. I'm going to be very surprised if we don't see a revival in this town. How it's going to start, I don't know. What I do know about people praying for revival, if I look, as I look at the history of praying for revival, oftentimes it starts with an evangelist coming in and gets the, gets the ball rolling, and all of a sudden revival sweeps the town. So I'm kind of excited about an evangelist coming this Saturday to do the magic show and preach the gospel message, and this could be the event that triggers it. Because it has to be in God's timing anyway. But I'm looking forward because God has already changed this town in many ways over the seven years I've been here. Things are changing. God is starting to move, and we're seeing changes. I just want to see the light burst forth and revival start. And I'm looking forward to what God's got in store for it to, to, to move forward. And then he says in verse 10, For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, None see me. It's amazing to me when I talk to people that are, that are not Christians. Well, who cares? Nobody, nobody cares. You know, nobody sees. There's no God to see me anyway. You know, nobody cares if I do these things. And this is what God's saying to Babylon, saying none, nobody sees me. Nobody cares. 
And it says, your wisdom and your knowledge, it has perverted you. It has polluted your thinking. Much like our world today. So much knowledge and yet don't understand anything. It's an amazing thing when you can get so much knowledge and you still don't understand. It can happen even in a church where people get so much knowledge of the Word of God, but don't let the Holy Spirit touch them and teach them from it. They get lots of knowledge. They get lots of smarts about the Bible. They may even have spent their entire life in church and never had it become real. They can tell you every Bible story. They can tell you every doctrine. But it has never become real. And there's a difference, and I hope, and I know this group knows it. There's that difference between knowing something and having it become real and impact in your life. And over the years, I've met many people. They could tell you the stories, but they don't seem to know. You know, they'll tell you that Jesus died on the cross for sin. But you notice what I said, for sin. They never personalize it and say, Jesus died for my sin. They never get to the place where they recognize that God sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us. They'll tell you about the Holy Spirit coming to indwell the, his people, but never personalize it to say, the Holy Spirit wants to indwell me. And this is where it becomes important. We get to the place where we look at the scriptures and say, it's not just words on the page. It's a living breathing book that is applicable to my life and applies to my life and I take it from being just words and just knowledge into who I am. And the thing about this is we, we spend time and people can spend all their time in, in their entire life in church but until they make it real it doesn't mean anything. Children get raised up in Christianity and that's good. We raise them up as Christians. But there has to come a point where that child changes from this is mom and dad's beliefs to this is what I believe. And there's a time when they struggle and maybe become a nuisance and, and irritating because of, because of their challenging of it, as long as it's honest challenge. But there has to come a point where they say this is no longer mom and dad's religion, this is my religion. And this is where many people get saved in their 60s, 70s, 80 years old who have gone to church all their life because they never say, it's my, it's my, was mom and dad's, mom and dad worship God and I believe because mom and dad. And then after a while they believe just because that's what the church believes. But it has to come down to the point where this is what I believe. Doesn't matter whether anybody else believes it or not. God, this is what you have convicted me of. Now, hopefully you match up with other people that you're going to church and better match up with the Bible. But it really is true. There comes a point where you say, God, this is what you've taught me. This is what the word says, how I understand it, and this is where I'm going to stand. And I've shared already. There's time, I, I expect people to disagree with me. If you all disagree, agreed with me 100% of the time, we've got a problem. All right? We've got a problem. Because, number one, I can be wrong. I've done 50, uh, 48 years worth of study, but I could still be wrong. All right? But we need to be able to sit down and say, this is what I believe. This is why I believe. And this is what I'm going to tell people. Well, I disagree with you. What scriptural basis do you have for disagreeing with me? You know, what are the scriptures that you're using to dis disagree with me? Now, on certain topics, I know what scriptures you're going to pick, and that's fine because there's other pastors and everything that use those same scriptures. 
to disagree with me, and I'll use certain scriptures, and, and, and we know we will disagree. And we know pretty much what the other one's going to say. But we can still have fellowship. We can still honor that person because they, as long as they're honest, do you know what you believe and why? You know, I have strong beliefs, and you all know that. I will tell you why I believe what I believe. But I don't expect everybody to believe what I believe. Matter of fact, there's many times when I told you, if you disagree with me, you're in good company. Probably the majority of the pastors or, or, or Christianity in many cases believe something different. Uh, my opinion from the scripture is usually the majority is wrong. <laughs> you know, if you look at the scriptures, the majority was almost always wrong. Uh, Moses, you've led us into this wilderness and God has departed from you. We're going, we are going to elect a new leader and leave you. Well, uh, Moses, you and these two, two uh, crazy spies who say we can conquer this country and Aaron, you guys are foolish, and the rest of us, we're going to leave. All through the book of Judges, we read the majority of the people turning away from God. All through Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, the majority of the people turn away from God. Over the years, you see the majority is almost always wrong. I'm not going to say always wrong, but for the most time, the mob goes the way of the world. We're seeing it in our country. The mob, you know, we've got government officials who all want to reign and rule by public opinion. Well, the only problem with public opinion is public opinion, especially in our day and age, is all toward evil. So if you're going to rule by public opinion, you're going to keep getting more and more evil with your decisions. And again, come back to this fact. God knows that we are human and know that we're going to make bad decisions. We need to stay in the word of God and follow him. Verse 11, Therefore shall evil come upon you, and you shall know, not know where it rises, and mischief shall fall upon you, and you shall not be able to put it off. Desolation shall come upon you suddenly, and you shall not know. Here's a very clear prophecy of there. You're going to be taken over very quickly and you're not even going to know that it's happened. And they were executed that, the king was executed that night and his, and his leaders were executed that night. Yeah, long, long after this prophecy was given, but in one night they were conquered. And we see this problem going on that you will not know, you will not perceive. How many times when we're not following God, do we walk into traps? We walk into situations not knowing. Not knowing as if we're totally blinded, and we are at the time that we do it. The wonderful thing I have had is sometimes I talk with somebody, they want to do something or say something or behave some way, and God just puts a little thing in my, in my mind that says, no, don't do this. Don't go down this path. I'm going, I don't know why, but no, you can't, do, you, you can't do that. And then find out later as they're talking to people that they had nothing but bad intentions in place. But the Spirit knew what was going on and said, don't go that way. And if we're listening to God, he will keep us out of so much trouble in our own life. Do this, don't do this, don't go this way, don't, don't behave this way. How do we get there? We fill our mind with his word and we really get to know his word. And then the Holy Spirit will talk. Will talk to us. Yeah. I had a pastor friend in Baltimore who said God showed him his house. He left work and he heard a voice saying, turn left, turn right, 
turn left. And he said, stop. And he looked over, and there's the house. It was the perfect house that his wife and him were looking, and family were looking for. Just happened to be in the price range he was looking for. All right? He was literally guided <laughs> to this house. Now, I've never had anything quite that dramatic happen to me. But I've had God lead me. I've had such strong impressions that I was supposed to say or do something and then find out it was exactly what needed to be done later on. Opening our ears and listening to the voice of God. Expecting Him. to expecting Him. Part of our problem in today's world is we don't expect God to do miracles. We don't expect God to speak. I've always, I keep hearing, especially in the Baptist circles, well, I, I heard God. You know it wasn't audible, but I heard God. Like, they're afraid to say that they heard God. One time in my life, I believe I heard God's voice. It's kind of sarcastic because I'd finally surrendered and he said, about time. Okay. But, you know, I think if we're really wanting to hear him, God will speak to us. If that's what we have to have to have faith, he's going to speak to us in a voice that we can hear. Most of my actions are God just so strongly puts it on my heart that I have to do something and I know it's, know it's according to scripture and I just follow it. I've prayed with people knowing that they were going to be healed and, and expecting them to be healed and if they weren't I was going to wonder why. Because God so clearly told me that he was going to heal that person. In those cases not with an audible voice but just everything in me said pray for this person they're going to be healed. God wants to talk to us. He wants to have fellowship with us. Many, time, many, many times he talks to us through the scriptures as we're reading them and corrects our thinking and gives us direction. But you know, we need to be ready to listen to God in each aspect we do. And if God wants to speak to us audibly, he will. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to apologize to anybody. If God speaks to me audibly, I'm not going to apologize to anybody who thinks I'm crazy because God spoke to me. All right, verse 12 says, Stand now with your enchantments and the multitude of your sorceries wherein you have labored from your youth. If so be, you shall be able to profit. If so be, you, you may prevail. You are weary in the multitude of your counsels. Let now your astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save you from these things that shall come upon you. Behold, they shall be as stubble, the fire shall burn them, they shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit before. Thus shall you, they be unto you with whom you have labored. Even your merchants from your youth, they shall wander about everyone to his, in, to his quarter. None shall save you. So here we see God saying, all right, stand up with your enchantments, your magic. And with the multitude of your sorceries. <laughs> Babylon was known for its witchcraft and its sorcerers and, and enchanters. Even more, it was known for astrology. Astrology is not new. Astrology was formed in Babylon of old. All right? Takes what God created, the galaxies and the signs of the heaven, and changed them into bad things. God created the zodiac. He put the gospel in the sky. He put the, the, his story in the sky, and Satan made a lie out of it. Made a lie out of it. Remember, Satan is the father of lies. He would not have counterfeited 
made a create a, a, a counterfeit of astrology if there was not a real story to be counterfeited. All right. Why do we say that? Well, would you have you ever seen a counterfeit three dollar bill? Do you expect to ever see a three counterfeit three dollar bill? I would hope not, because only an idiot would counterfeit a three dollar bill because there's no such thing. And well, if you counterfeit it, you only counterfeit something that is real. Because you're not counterfeiting it otherwise, there's nothing, there has to be a real to start with. I thought astrology was the study of stars. No, astronomy is the study of stars. Astrology, astrology is trying to get the future from the stars. Right. Your, horosco your horoscopes. He says, so go, he says, let you now go to your astrologers, those who are trying to give you your information from the stars, your stargazers, your monthly prognosticators. What are your, what is that? Your horoscope. God created, your monthly or, or daily, your daily, your, your monthly, your, your whole month's list of all the things you're supposed to happen to you. You know, and we need to be careful because we as Christians should not be reading horoscopes because they have their, their foundation in astrology, which is anti-God. Now, I know that when we read them, we're not reading them with seriousness or anything, but we really should not even dabble with it because what happens is people start reading it and they're written gener generally enough that you look at it and say, wow, this actually... This actually predicted my day. Oh, it did it two days in a row. And the more I start reading it and the more that I see it seem to come true, the more I'm going to start putting trust in it and taking my trust away from God. And we need to be very careful with that. Don't play around with sin. Don't play around with horoscopes. Don't play around with the white magic. Don't play around with anything that leads to those magic. You know, don't play around with things that are going to lead you into adultery or fornication. You know, and this is very important. In our day and age, we have all kinds of things that play around the edge of, edge of sin. You know, the world tells, tells the married man, well, well, you can look as long as you don't uh, touch. Well, no, you start looking long enough, you're, going to, you're eventually going to touch. So you're starting, you're starting down the wrong path, and you've got to be able to say, I am going to live God's way. If that makes people think that I'm a prude and, and, and crazy, then so be it. I'm going to live God's way. We live as Christians counter-cultural to what the world is trying to teach us to be, which means people are going to make fun of us. Well, you know, you don't have to be that truthful. You don't have to be that honest. You don't, you know, come on, it's natural to look. It's natural to want. You're right, it's natural but I'm living supernaturally. At least my goal is to live supernaturally. I don't want to live in nature because nature lives, leads to sin. And if I give place to it, I'll eventually fall to that sin. I have to live in a supernatural way above any uh, idea of the sin. Not even the crack can be opened up because the flesh will follow into that crack and say, let me open this wider. I like, I like what I'm seeing. I like what I'm doing. I like what I'm, I'm hearing. 
which is one of the reasons I'm so careful even about what I watch on television and the movies that I watch and the books that I read and the music that I listen to, which I, as you all know, I don't listen to much music. I listen to preaching on the radio more often than not because I'm looking to live in the supernatural. And I'm hoping that that's what we all are, wanting to live in the supernatural and not making a little crack in there, all right? Because I want to stay as far from sin as I can. Most of the time I hear questions from people, well, if I do this, am I sinning? All right? Or how close can I get to this before I sin? Well, the very fact that you're questioning it tells me that you're already being convicted that you're not supposed to do it. So my answer has really become, and it's taken years to get to this, but I'm, I've learned very quickly, I've learned over the years, if somebody's asking me if something's a sin, for them it is. They're already being convicted by God. If they have to, well, you know, if I do this, will that be sin? I'm going to guess that for you it is. God's already convicting you not to do it, so you're asking if it's sin, then the answer is yes. Because we are told we are at liberty. We can do whatever we want if we can do it in good conscience. That person who's smoking the cigarette and has no problem with it whatsoever because God has not convicted them at all is not sinning when they smoke. The person who is smoking that cigarette and saying, well, I don't think I should be doing this. It's a terrible testimony. But I really don't think, I don't, can't find anything in the Bible that says not to do it. But, you know, I, I do think it's not really a good thing. They're sinning. God is already working on their heart that they're not supposed to do it. Now, there are things that are sin. You know, don't get me wrong. You can't just say, well, you know, I'm, I'm having this affair, and I don't think any problem. God says, don't commit adultery. Okay, there's not even, it says, you shall not. <laughs> All right? Smoking, there's nothing in the Bible that says you shall not smoke. All right? There are some principles we can apply, and if God's working on you, the principles apply. But there are things that says, do not be drunk. It doesn't say you can't drink, but it says don't be drunk. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. There are some you shall nots in the Bible that are very clearly sin. No matter what you think and no matter how free you think you are, there are certain things in the Bible that are sin. There's a lot of things that are questionable. You know, should, should, you, should you smoke? Probably not, but it's not good for the body. It's not healthy for the body. It's a terrible, terrible testimony, but this is between you and God. Should you gamble? There's no verse in the Bible that says you shall not gamble. It's not taking good, good care of your income. It's not, you know, not taking good care of your money. So there's lots of reasons why you should not. But again, what is God working on your heart on? And if you get to the place where you start questioning whether you should do something or not, you're Don't sinning. Once you come into a place where you're starting to question whether you should do it, then you are sinning. All right? And so we see here, he's saying, keep these things. None of these things will, will keep you. Behold, they shall be a stubble, and the fire shall burn them, and they shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. You're going to them for help, and they can't even deliver themselves. And there's no coal to warm, no fire to sit by, even though they're being burnt up. And then he says, thus shall they be unto you with whom you have labored, even your merchants from your youth, they shall wander about, everyone to his quarter. None shall save you. And what God is saying, you're going to go to those things that you think are really strong. You're going to go to your gods. You're going to go to your sorcerers. You're going to go to your, your astrologers. 
and none of them are going to give you the answers you're looking for. None of them are going to be able to deliver you. Previous to this, we had Isaiah making fun of those who cut down a tree and make, make a fire and then make half the, half the tree into an idol and then nail the, nail the idol up and say, you're my God. What he's saying here. Go to these people. You think they're so great? Do you think they're going to give you advice? They're dying with you. They don't have the answers. They, don't, they cannot deliver you. And this is the thing that we find. The world cannot deliver us from the destruction. God will. He'll give us the peace. He'll give us the understanding. And if we put our trust in anything but God, it will fail. Usually at the most critical point in our life, it will fail. I'm seeking fame, God. I want fame. I want everybody to know my name and, and, make, and, and love me because of who, how important I am. And you get there and find out that it's not all that it's cracked up to be because now I don't know whether people like me because of my fame or because of who I am. And you can't trust anybody because like, well, do they just want to be around me because of who they think I am? I, I know people who love certain actors and actresses, but when you talk to them and ask why, well, you know, this part that they play in this movie was really good. That's fantasy. That's not who they are. You know, you're liking them because of somebody they played? You know, you don't know who they are. You don't know anything about them in reality, and you're going to idolize them and want to be like them? We need to be so careful that we're not putting ourselves in any of that kind of place because they don't know who to trust either because everybody likes them for the wrong reasons. You know, they like me because I'm the, the, knock, you know, the knockout gorgeous person that's been you know, airbrushed and, and photographed in such a way or they like me because I'm the, the good guy who comes in and beats, beats up all the bad guys and wins the day and they love me because of how strong I am and how I never lose, I never lose. And in real life, they're just as, just as bad and, 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 and criti you know, critical as we are. All right? We need to be careful. Who do we put our trust in? It must be God. Because God will destroy anything else that we put our trust in. And he will just step in and say, oh, this is what your trust is? Oop, out it goes. Your trust is in that nice job you have. You're making, you're making $250,000 a, a year and you're putting all your trust in that job? Let me close the company. Let me downsize the company and you're one of the ones that get downsized. Let me let you get sick. Now you can no longer work. Now where's your trust? God does these things all the time with people. You know, he'll take an athlete who thinks they're, they're everything and get them hurt and say, now what are you going to put your trust in? You know, he will do this over and over. My trust is I'm so strong in my family life, I would never hurt my family. And all of a sudden, something works out that your family falls apart, or you fall in love with somebody else and end up you know, doing something you never thought you would do because God allowed certain circumstances to happen. And how easy is it to fall into an adulterous relationship for a person? Pretty easy. All you got to do is be down one day and you're having a hard time with your spouse and the next thing you know, somebody's coming around and being nice and being kind. And the next thing you know, you've, all, you've fallen in love. 
or at the very least fallen into attraction then leads you into infatuation and you think you're in love. And you know, the next thing you know, you're in the wrong place. Very few people ever go out and say, I think today I'm gonna to go have an adulterous relationship. It usually is something that develops over time, which is why so many times it happens with the best friend's wife or the best friend's, you know, a best friend because you just hang out with them and you just start appreciating them and, you know, and they're a little different. They, they, they like you. They, they say nice things about you. Your wife or your husband hasn't said a nice thing about you for, for a year. And this person actually likes you. <laughs> they, they've appreciated what you're wearing. They've appreciated what you've said. And we need to be careful because it could be very easy to fall down that path. And we got to put guards on our heart for all areas. God, I don't want riches. I just want enough to, to be able to support you. God, I don't want poverty either because I don't want to be a thief. God, I don't want a lot of the things. I don't need fame. I don't need fortune. God, I just want you. And whatever you're going to give me, God, I want to keep my focus on you. Now, God may give us the rest, but our goal at that time is I want to keep my focus on you, God. I'm getting famous. I'm getting rich, whatever it might be. But God, I want to put my focus on you. Keep me. Because there's nothing wrong with fame. There's nothing wrong with fortune. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff because it can be a blessing from God. But if it makes me take my eyes off God, it turns into be a very bad thing. And our eyes and focus must always be on God and Him only. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to come and worship you and study. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Help us to keep our minds looking to you, that you are our strength. You are our keeper. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.